0: You're listening to a sermon podcast from Agape
1: Baptist Church, recorded live from our Sunday service. Good morning church. Today's scripture reading comes from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 31, and chapter 2, verses 4 to 25. Then God said, Let us make man our image after our likeness. everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Now on to Genesis chapter 2 verses 4 to 25. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land, and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and breathed A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Dalium and Onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and were not ashamed. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Wow, thank you so much, Adrian. Uh, Lengthy reading indeed. Uh, Very good morning, everyone. Uh, The Lord bless you. Uh, Whether you are alone at home catching this live stream or even if you are with an Agapian or two, uh, this is the Lord's Day. And I am excited to worship with you. Now, for those of you who are joining us for the first time, a warm welcome also. Uh, There's a QR code right here. And uh, I would love for you to scan it. uh, And, you know, uh, I would love to get connected with you and also to give you a free book. Of your choice. Well, today we come to part three of our Genesis sermon series, and I've actually been asked why we are going back to Genesis uh, when we only just finished the book of Exodus not too long ago. Now, this is an excellent question, and I want to say uh, that finishing the book of Exodus puts us in a much better position to appreciate Genesis. So, it's a good thing that we finished Exodus first. Because the writer of Genesis is Moses, who is the key character from the book of Exodus. And the immediate recipients of the book of Genesis uh, were the Israelites of Moses' uh, generation. And they too featured uh, very strongly in the book of Exodus. And so from Exodus, we know that, you know, these Israelites, they had just gotten out of Egypt. They were fresh out of slavery. Uh, They were wandering through the wilderness and they were searching for the promised land. And so this book actually speaks uh, to a lot uh, of us as travelers uh, because we are also uh, people who are journeying through the promised land. And so this book of Genesis is a book for travelers like you and me. Now, you know, in the past, sorry, let me begin that again. Now, the journey through life is pretty complicated. One of the things we struggle with is, Uh, very often our identity, right? The big question is, who am I? And so in the past, uh, someone would have answered that question by pointing to their nationality, uh, their family heritage, uh, their job, their accomplishments, you know, something external, something outside of them. But today, uh, people are looking for something inside of them to define who they are. And one way we do that often is by getting psychological. And so to to answer that question, who am I, uh, we we look to our personality profile, right? Whether you are an introvert or an extrovert, uh, what mental disorders you struggle with, uh, who or what you're sexually attracted to, uh, what gender or non-gender you believe yourself to be. And that is one way of, of looking to ourselves internally. Now, another way. Uh, you know, may not be the the psychological route, uh, but we look to our beliefs to define who we are. And these may be political beliefs, they may be religious beliefs, uh, beliefs about uh, vaccination, parenting, justice, and all kinds of other things. And we end up becoming either pro something or anti something else. Now, these are ways we use to look internally to define who we are. And we think that because we are looking within ourselves, then these must be the most real and authentic truths about who we are. But the thing is, as the journey of life goes on, we change. And the way that the culture looks at things also changes. And the way we understand and define ourselves also changes. So then we've got to ask ourselves, Uh, Are there any timeless truths, unchanging truths about who we are? Or is the only consistent thing about us is the fact that we are travelers and that we are always changing? Excuse me. Well, you've been following the sermon so far. I think I'm okay. So if you've been following the sermon so far, then you would have heard that God is the beginning of our journey. And right there is an anchor, a starting point for us. You know, with God as the beginning of our journey, we can be sure that there, that there are timeless and unchanging truths about who we are. And so as we look today at Genesis chapter 2 primarily, uh, we're going to be making a request of God's Word today. All right, we're going to make a request of God's Word today, and this is our request. Tell me who I am. And there are three parts to the answer that we get from Genesis chapter 2. Part 1 being, God created you with identity. Part 2, God created you with purpose. And finally, God created you with needs. Now let us look at part 1. God created you with identity. Now as we look at Genesis chapter 2, uh, it paints a picture of the earth as a desert wilderness. And then what we see is God coming down into this wilderness, and this is what happens. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Now this is a really intimate picture. You know, Moses refers to God as the Lord God, or in Hebrew, Yahweh Elohim. Now, Yahweh is that special covenantal name that God revealed to Moses and to the Israelites. And so Moses, as he writes this, he's letting the Israelites know that it is Yahweh, their God, who loved them and saved them out of Egypt, who is the creator God that they saw in Genesis chapter 1. And so as the people received Genesis chapter 2, they could have imagined Yahweh, their God, using His very own hands to scoop the dust together, using His very own fingers to tenderly sculpt the nose, you know, the eyes, the toes, and even the, the earlobes as well. And then they, they, they could imagine Him putting His very own mouth to the nose of this dust sculpture and breathing into it. And as Yahweh breathes, the dust begins to turn to flesh. Organs begin pulsing with life. Coarse sand turn into smooth skin and silky hair. And as that transformation happens, God looks on in joy uh, at this masterpiece that comes to life. Now this is such an intimate picture but the truth is this intimate picture of creation is not unique and it is not special to man you see uh, later in Genesis 2 verse 19 we are told now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens so God had created the other creatures from the ground as well God had breathed the breath of life into those creatures also. And just like man, the other animals were also described as living creatures. So then we ask ourselves is there actually no difference between us and the other animals? But there is a difference. And this difference is found not so much in what God did as He created man, but in what God said as He created man. And again, it is so important to pay attention to what God says rather than what we think God is doing. And this is what God says in Genesis 1, chapter 26. Sorry, chapter 1, verse 26, uh, as He creates man. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. So what's the difference between man and every other animal? Unlike every other animal, we are created in God's image. And this is something that the scriptures celebrate. And I mean, this this is what happens in the the next verse. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. But what does it mean to be created in the image of God? Well, for sure, it's, it's not a literal thing. So it doesn't mean that we look like God. Uh, It might mean that, you know, we are like God in our unique abilities to reason, to empathize, uh, to be creative, and so on. But to the Israelites, being created in the image of God, it, it was more than just about, you know, having a certain IQ and a certain EQ as well. You see, when the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, there was one man who was believed to have been created in the image of God And that was Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Only he was believed to be the human image of the divine God. And that was why only he had the right to rule. So imagine how amazed the Israelites must have felt to hear all of this. What? God made man from the dust? And the Israelites might have looked all around them at the the desert sand and said, Wow, that could have been me. And you know, God had also made the animals from the dust of the wilderness and the Israelites might have looked at the camel and at the caterpillar and said, you know, these could have also been me. But to be made in the image of God after God's own likeness. Now the Israelites might have remembered Pharaoh and said in awe, is that how God sees me? And for the women... For the women who heard that God made mankind in His image, both male and female. I mean, the Israelite women might have looked at their husbands and said, You mean I am royalty too? Now people, we should have this same sense of wonder on our hearts. You see, you could have been a patch of mud. You could have been a caterpillar or a camel. But God made you royalty. God made you royalty. And this is a truth for the travel. And here's the thing, you know, royalty, royalty is not earned. It's bestowed, right? If you, if you watch the, the the chronicles of Narnia, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, uh, you would have realized that the four children, Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy, they did not earn their royal status I mean, there were creatures in Narnia that were wiser and stronger and more experienced than these children. Yet these mere children were the ones who became the kings and queens of Narnia. Now, perhaps this is hard for us to understand because we are so used to a meritocratic system where where you've got to earn your status, where you've got to prove yourself worthy. But our God is not like that. He creates mankind in His image and He creates us as royalty. And this is why as Christians we are called to love one another, to love our neighbors, to love even our enemies, to treat both the rich and the poor equally with dignity because we believe God created everyone in His image. Each person is royalty carrying a tremendous uh, sense of value and worth. And so the church is meant to be made up of all kinds of people, regardless of race, what what nationality you have, what job you have, uh, what age group you belong to, whether you are a Gen Z or a millennial or a baby boomer, regardless even of your political convictions, all who are made in His image are welcome. But perhaps you have not experienced this acceptance and this sense of respect in churches, maybe even in this church. Perhaps some of you uh, come from Christian homes and may have Christian parents, and yet you have been called stupid, useless, good for nothing, and maybe even worse. Perhaps Christians were the ones who, who made you believe that even God would not want you, that even God would not forgive you, that you are completely worthless because of something You've done. But this is all utterly untrue. You see, God could have left you as a heap of sand or, 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 or a puddle of mud. You could have been part of any of the 30 million species of animals on earth. But God created you in His image. God created you as royalty. And as we go through our journey, we must never forget this identity, this truth that we have. We must never lose our amazement at the status that God has so graciously and generously bestowed upon us. Psalm chapter 8 verses 3 to 5, it says, When I look at your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the Son of Man that you care for him. Yet, yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor, with royalty. Let's come now to the second part God created us with purpose. Now, so far, God has uh, just created the first man. His name is Adam, and God created him in the wilderness. And now, in Genesis 2, goes on to tell us that God plants uh, the Garden of Eden and puts Adam in the garden. And there is food for Adam in the garden, and there's also this massive river that runs through the garden, watering the garden, bringing and sustaining life. Now, what is God doing as He does all these things? I mean, in, in one sense, He is providing for Adam. But there's more than just that. Genesis 2 verse 15 tells us that the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So God was not only just providing for Adam, but also giving him his first task. And this is the first job ever recorded in the Bible. And today that job title might be Gardening Executive. Right? But Adam's role Goes beyond just taking care of the greenery in the garden, he has to take care of the animals as well. Now, this is not a picture of a poor gardener having to take care of a rich man's expensive uh, garden and to groom his luxurious pets, all right? This becomes uh, really clear when we hear God's purpose in creating man. And this is uh, back from Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. This is what God says, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So Adam is placed in the garden of Eden, not as a gardener to maintain the garden. Adam is a royal king, given land to rule, subjects to serve, and a mission to fulfill. Now, the goal that God has given mankind is to fill the earth and to rule over it, and that is man's purpose. But you see, the Garden of Eden was just a small beginning that God had given to Adam. If you look at verses 10 to 14, you would see a description of rivers, of lands, of gold and precious stones, and what what it tells us, is that God had provided all that was necessary for man to eventually move beyond the Garden of Eden to subdue other lands, uh, to innovate and to build cities, to extend mankind's dominion over more and more of the earth. And so working the Garden of Eden was just the beginning, but the goal was to rule the world. God created man to rule. Now, the Israelites, they would have surely been able to relate. The first generation of Israelites who migrated into Egypt, they were just a small group of 70 people. But 200 years later, during Moses' generation, God had multiplied the Israelites to more than 600,000 men and probably more than a million Israelites in total now God's purpose for making Israel a, a mighty nation, so numerous, was so that they could subdue the promised land and rule. The story of Moses was also a demonstration of God's purpose for man to rule. Moses was a stuttering, cowardly man who was begging God not to use him. But God used him to subdue the great nation of Egypt and to lead the Israelites out of slavery. And Moses was even given authority over animals like snakes and flies and cattle, over the weather, over the Red Sea, and so on. And in some sense, Moses was exercising dominion over the earth and the creatures of the earth. Now, in the same way, God has created us with the purpose to rule. I mean, we are royalty and our royalty uh, will be displayed fully, one day, as we rule over all creation. But just as Adam had a small beginning in the Garden of Eden, and just as Israel had a small beginning with the 70 in Egypt, and just as Moses had a small beginning as a coward racked with self-doubt, now we too are called to our small beginnings. You know, in the New Testament, in Luke 19, Jesus shares the parables of the miners. And these miners are not the birds, all right? These miners were a sizable amount of money during uh, Jesus' time. So in this parable, which is very similar to the parable of the talents, uh, a master entrusts his three servants with different amounts of miners. And two of the servants, they faithfully multiplied what was entrusted to them. And this was the master's response. Well done, good servant. Because you've been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. Now it's surprising. The master doesn't simply reward his servants with more money, but instead he rewards their faithfulness in the very little by granting them cities to rule. Similarly, in Matthew 25, uh, Jesus tells of the final judgment. And there Jesus commends those who feed the hungry, those who quench the thirst of the thirsty, uh, those who welcome the foreigner, who clothe the naked, who took care of the sick, who visited those in prison. And this is how Jesus goes on to reward them. He says, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. The reward for being faithful with small things, small beginnings, is the right to rule. Now, God created us with the purpose to rule, and and what we go through in life is training for us to rule in eternity. 2 Timothy 2 verse 12 says, if we endure, we will also reign with Christ. This journey is a preparation for us to rule. So here's the truth for the travel. Don't despise your small beginnings. Our journey is a preparation to rule. God created us with the purpose to rule. But right now, we all have our small beginnings. And just as God placed Adam in the Garden of Eden, God has placed you in your specific setting. Uh, where you are, I mean, it is not an accident. It is not an oversight the God who is the beginning of your journey has placed you there. And wherever you are, God has called you to rule, to rule over your sin, to take dominion over it, and to grow in holiness. God has called you to subdue the earth, not through violence or through arrogance, but through loving self-sacrifice. And at the end of the day, God will bring you into the fullness of His purpose For you, which is to rule with Christ. This brings us now to the third part of our sermon. God created you with needs. So, God so far has created Adam, has set him to work in the garden, but now a problem arises. And this is what Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, tells us. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. Now, when God says that something is not good, it is a big problem. So far, uh, Genesis 1 records that God saw seven times that His creation was good. But here, God not only sees that something is not good, God also declares that it is not good. And this is a big problem. So what is this problem? It is that the man, Adam, is alone. Now we belong to a very psychological uh, culture. When we read that Adam is alone, we immediately think, ah, Adam must be lonely, right? And, And that might be true, right? That might be a problem for Adam. But that is not the issue with Adam's aloneness here in this passage. The word used for alone is a word familiar to the Israelites. They remember this incident where Jethro, Moses' father-in-law gave counsel to Moses. And Jethro had noticed at that time that Moses was spending day and night settling the affairs and the quarrels and the disputes uh, between uh, fellow Israelites. And this is what Jethro said to his son-in-law. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out For the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now after hearing from Jethro, Moses appointed a group of trustworthy men to help him settle the disputes among the Israelites. So what was so bad about Adam being alone? It wasn't the loneliness. It is that Adam had no equal, no peer, no one of his caliber to be his helper genesis two twenty tells us that all the animals were brought to adam but for adam there was not found a helper fit for him now god had given adam a mission he was to multiply and fill the earth but how is he going to do that by himself god had uh, given adam the mission to subdue the earth and to have dominion over every living thing upon the face of the earth How was Adam supposed to do that on his own? So in verses 21 to 22, God creates a woman and this woman is formed from Adam himself. And this signifies that unlike the other animals, this woman would be Adam's equal. Now Matthew Henry makes this beautiful observation. He says, The woman was made out of a rib, Sorry, the woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him. And so the woman was God's answer to the man's problem. Now we've got a question that we need to ask. Why did God create Adam this way? why did God create Adam with such a need in the first place? Why did God create him with this flaw, with this defect? Right? Why, and then after that, why does, why does God meet the need rather than remove the need altogether? And so I guess the question would be, why didn't God make Adam capable and sufficient on his own by himself? You see, God had made mankind in his image but with just the man the image of god was incomplete and you see god is one but he is not alone in the new testament it is revealed that god is a triune god and he in himself is a community and so like what genesis 1 verse 27 said earlier in the chapter god's image was only truly and adequately reflected when god created the female with the male And now that God has created the woman, he can finally look at his creation and see that it is all very good. The problem is resolved. And so as Genesis 2 comes to a close, we are told a principle about marriage. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. But as we look at this principle, it also helps us to clarify how that first marriage was meant to reflect God. What we learn is that God is not adequately reflected by a parent-child relationship. God is not adequately reflected by a marriage that has the in-laws coming in between the husband and the wife. God is only properly reflected by a male and a female giving themselves entirely to one another and becoming one without any obstructions. And so what God has joined together, let not man separate. And this is a picture of God in His triune self. But as we come to the New Testament, there's a shift that takes place. In Ephesians 5, Paul describes marriage not as a reflection of God's image, but as a reflection of the relationship between Jesus Christ and the church. In Matthew 10, Jesus talks about how uh, uh, people should leave their father and mother not to hold fast to their wives, but to hold fast to Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul calls the believers to no longer visit prostitutes, to no longer worship idols, because they have become one with Christ. In fact, we are so united with Christ that the New Testament often describes us as the body of Christ. And this is a picture of one flesh. And as the body of Christ, we are not only united with Christ, but we are also united with each other. 1 Corinthians 12 tells us that because we are one body, when one member suffers, we all suffer. And when one member is honored, we are all honored. Similarly, Jesus gives us a new commandment in John 13 that we love one another not as how a husband and wife should love one another but as Jesus Christ has loved us. And when we love one another in this way we reflect to the world that we are His disciples. Why? Because we are reflecting the image of Christ the image of God. So what are all these New Testament passages telling us? They are telling us that marriage is no longer the only way or even the primary way that God is imaged and reflected. Our love for one another in the church is the primary way we do that. And just like Adam, we, we were all created with this need. We are created with a need to properly image our God, our Creator. We were created with a need to glorify Him by properly and adequately reflecting His divine excellencies to the world around us. But we can't fulfill that need on our own. We can't be living independently. We need one another. We need fellow believers, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. We need the church. And here's a truth for the journey. Don't travel alone journey with the body of Christ. Glorify God by imaging Him fully. And even with the season that we're in, you know, stay connected with one another. Reach out to those in your cell groups. Reach out to to those whom you know are more isolated. Drop a message. Drop a call. Drop by their houses. You know, give them a visit. Meet up over Zoom. Meet meet them for a, a meal over Zoom. You know, check in. On one another, encourage one another, confess your sins uh, to one another, pray with one another, share your struggles and successes with one another, just find ways to support one another. But the power to do all of this, it comes from Jesus. Jesus is the true royalty, the King of Kings coming down among us with purpose. He never despised his small beginnings, uh, even here on the earth. He took on human form. He took on the form of a servant and journeyed with us even to the point of death and death on the cross. Jesus took on our need, that great need we have to properly, fully, adequately reflect the image of God. And by Himself, or all alone, He is the image of the invisible God. It is in Him that all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Yet, He joined Himself to us. He gathered men and women as His disciples. He commissioned them. He gave them authority. He filled them with His Holy Spirit. He set up His church so that image bearers, men and women from every nation and tribe and people group could be redeemed. Redeemed through Him as royalty. For it is no longer we who live, but Christ, the King of kings who lives In us. Redeemed through him to rule, for if we endure our small beginnings, we will reign with him into eternity. Redeemed through him to fully, properly, adequately image our covenantal God, for we are the temple of God, the household of God, we are a new creation and the body of Christ. So, sons of Adam, lift up your eyes, and daughters of Eve, Let your your chins not droop down Lift them up For you are Through Christ You are crowned with glory and honour As royal children Would you join me And together let's pray
1: Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast You can find more of our sermons online On our website At www.agape.org.sg